you, Ben, for your profound leadership this morning. Very appropriate on this day. Grateful for your ministry to us. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to say Happy New Year, but that would be a, a disingenuous statement in the moment as we open 2021 with kind of a continuing theme of darkness that was 2020. And yet, in the midst of this darkness, I'm profoundly privileged and grateful to be able to come and be with you today as we worship together online and offer a word of hope, a calling, really, from God for you, uh, your family, for us together as a community, a local church, and also, frankly, for people of faith everywhere. And so please join me in prayer as we prepare to receive what God has from us from the scriptures this morning as we begin a new series on the theme of Shalom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can gather, I usually say, or did a year ago, within these walls, but now I, it's become normal to say thank you, Father, that as we gather scattered in your providence, uh, that you still speak to us, that we're still one community, that we don't see each other, we can't hug and weep together and laugh together, as would be normal. Yet we are together, Father, called together to represent your heart. So I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through this series, shaping us to be people of hope in your world. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, of course, January is a dark season. Always, literally in Seattle, a dark season. The darkest month, December and January, uh, the, the, the lights are on in the house by like two in the afternoon because it's so cloudy. The, the, I saw a shadow yesterday uh, where I live in the mountains and there was the first, I think it was the first shadow I'd seen in over two weeks. The sun came out for a moment. It's, it's dark. It's literally dark. It's dark pandemic wise. We've had days now of over 4,000 dying in a single day. Of course, we all know this week it's dark politically and, and for many, in addition to the political and the economic and the, and the pandemic and the, and the physical darkness, there's personal darkness. It's cancer or it's infidelity or it's, it's a heightened sense of anxiety, a heightened sense of depression as Don just articulated in his invitation to uh, people serve, uh, that people might serve as Stephen ministers. It's a dark time. There's no, there's no question about it. And when it's dark, often our vision shrinks a little bit or a lot. When it's dark, well, we tend to uh, allow our lives to come down to, you know, only the very next survival moment. So if I would ask you the question this morning, what's your vision? Some might say this, my vision for 2021 is that it would not be 2020. That would be a win in and of itself. For others, this particular week and leading up to January 20th, our vision may be that democracy would be preserved in the United States of America. For others, you might have a vision, uh, as many do in the new year, of personal health. I want to fix my body ma ma mass index or my heart rate variability. Or I want to fix myself more holistically, spirit, soul, body, financial health. Maybe some of us have goals around family related to increased intimacy, related to ch ch children. Whatever your vision is, for 2021, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that God's vision is actually bigger. It's bigger than whatever your vision is because Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, God is able and desiring 
to do through you much more, much more than you could ask or hope, or listen to this, even imagine. So God's vision is bigger. And I'm proposing today that you and I would have a vision related to God's shalom, that we would live in the present moment, drawing upon the resources of the Spirit's power, invoking the shalom, the peace of Christ, to the end that Christ's life might not only fill us, but pour out through us and find an increasingly fuller expression of shalom pouring through us into our city, into our families, into our nation, into our world, so that the peace of Christ might find expression. That's God's vision. And that vision actually shows up over and over and over again in the scripture, but I'd like to articulate it for you this morning in kind of a macro outline with three chapters, basically. Chapter one, and it all, it, this is all rooted in Genesis 1 and 2, but in chapter one, the world is darkness and chaos and desolation without God. We have to learn this. God is our hope. Chapter two, though, God is then the source of all that is good and God intervenes. And then chapter three, God invites you and I to be God's agents in bringing light into a dark world. Chapter one, the world is dark. Chapter two, God brings light. Chapter three, that light is now brought to the world through you. That's your vision or should be. So let's look at these three chapters. They're all really, really important. But chapter one is this. The world is chaos, desolation, and darkness without God. If you open uh, your Bible, if you have one, to Genesis 1, the very, very beginning, the, the stage is set for the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was, or depending on your theology, became, the verb could be differently read there, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Formless and void and dark. In Hebrew, tohu, bohu, chasek. Uh, formless, void, dark, without God. Listen, Genesis is not the only creation story uh, in human culture and history. And because there's more than one creation narrative in the world, it's important for you and I to know that in every other creation narrative contemporary to the Genesis one, there isn't one God, there are multiple gods. And the gods aren't good. The gods are evil and capricious and random. And the gods aren't peaceful. The gods are warring. And the humans that are created as a byproduct of the creation narrative, in every other case, the humans are slaves created to do the bidding of the warring gods. So there are these other creation narratives afloat when this creation narrative is dropped into history. And so in all of these other creation narratives, there's the same fundamental theme as Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth, formless, void, and dark. Tohu, bohu, chosek. Uh, those words are used in the Bible to describe a state of chaos and everywhere else that those words are used, the state of chaos 
creates a response for humans of fear and despair. Like if it's chaos and desolation and darkness, I'm afraid and sad. That's the way the world works. So, you know, I try and figure out how to explain to you tohu vabohu, which is this phrase describing desolation and waste. And so I thought maybe if I could help you by calling to mind images from our history, you would understand tohu vabohu. Think of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, tohu vabohu. Think of the bombing of Dresden, tohu vabohu. Think of 9-11, tohu vabohu. Think of downtown Seattle, WTO, maybe more recently protests across the nation for various reasons. At their worst, tohu vabohu. Uh, think of uh, January 6th, 2021, the Capitol, tohu vabohu. I sat and watched, and years ago, I was privileged to uh, do a wedding in Washington, D.C., and one of the people getting married uh, had uh, a father in the House of Representatives, and so I was privileged to be in the house uh, for a time of prayer, and it it was a profound moment for me, the convergence of my story of faith and history And then I watched this thing happen on Wednesday. Tohu vabohu. And I offer these only to help evoke images of states of chaos that incite fear and anxiety. Because this is the state of things in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was desolation and waste. It's the state of things when it's only matter. In other words, God steps in, God steps in in uh, the second half of verse two. But the state of things without the active agency of God's intervention, the state of just matter, just matter without life is desolation, waste, and darkness. That's reality, friends. And what's more, it's not just desolation and waste. I want to unpack this, this notion of darkness as well. The darkness is vacuous. It says that darkness covered the face of the deep. The Hebrew word here, darkness, means exactly that. It means darkness, but it encapsulates uh, misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, and particularly this, a sense of absolute fear and despair because of loneliness. So the priests painted a picture of emphatic agony. They were providing a commentary, as Genesis is written, providing a commentary on the state of people who are surrounded by uh, despair because of the absence of God's intervention in humanity. And the deep in Genesis 1-2 is intending to show us that until God intervenes, things are not okay, ever. You can paint things, you can put makeup on things, You can turn the other way and not see things, but core reality without God, tohu, bohu, chosek, desolation, waste, darkness. That's reality. I should have warned you, 
in this three-chapter story, only the first chapter is bad news. So stick with me here. It gets better. But if you don't listen to the bad news, you're not ready to hear the good news. And so when we talk about this darkness here, what my mind goes to um, stories of those who have been alone at sea. That's terrifying to me. There's a hike uh, right near my house to a place called Cave Ridge, and there's a cave on top of Cave Ridge where you could go in. But at the, at the entrance to the cave, there's a sign. It says, never go in alone, ever. Don't ever go in alone. Always at least two people, and always every person in the party should have not only a helmet, but three headlamps in case one goes out. Because listen, if one goes out and the other goes out, if you don't have a third, you may never come out. That's darkness. That's terrifying. So to summarize, the earth before the intervention of the God of life, the earth without the intervention of the God of life, desolation, darkness, and waste. In other words, I'm just going to say it this way, for all the beauty that is this world, and it's beautiful, for all the, for all the Mozart, for all the football, for all the coffee, for all the snowfall, for all the, for me, beautiful skiing, for all the moments of intimacy, for all that is beautiful in this world, take God out of the equation, who is, by the way, the source of every good and perfect gift. God's the source. Take God out of the equation. It's empty, man. The world is actually darker and more evil than we think. And, by the way, lighter and more beautiful than we think as well. But the sense of despair and hopelessness that is a world with God breaks into our lives on a regular basis. And this week, of course, is no exception. But not just this week. I have a friend who died at 16 at the hands of a drunk driver. (laughs) We were in youth group together. And he was driving home from leading worship. And a drunk driver ran a red light, and he's, he's, he was gone. I was a junior in high school. I have a friend in Friday Harbor uh, weeping at the notion that contentment would ever be attainable in his life. He had wealth, but he, was never, he wasn't content. I, I had a several-hour conversation on a flight from Bangkok to Tokyo with a man who's spiritually hungry, who had tried again and again and again in various cults to find meaning and hope and, and, and movement towards justice and beauty and every time was left disillusioned and quote-unquote burned and he said, I'm terrified to put my faith in Jesus because will he let me down too? Darkness, darkness, darkness. Abuse, addiction, increased income gap, loss of family structure that leaves people out there with no social safety net. The preacher in Ecclesiastes calls this life under the sun. So it's just kind of the reality of what life is without the active presence of God. And this is the essence of the creation narrative that in all the narratives that are contemporary to Genesis, they kind of end there. Yeah, here's the earth, like you struggle and you war and then you die. And that is the world without God. And we live there. It's a world of George Floyd. 
It's a world of Breonna Taylor. It's a world of huge prison populations. It's a world of devaluing life in the womb. It's a world of devaluing family systems. It's a world of conspiracy theories. It's a world of capital storming. It's a world of genocide. It's a world of human trafficking. But none of this, hear me, none of this is God's doing. And that's vital because one of the fundamental questions we must settle in our, in our minds and our hearts, we have to answer this question. In this world that stinks so often, is God good? And that's been a conversation I as a pastor have had with many people. And one of the most profound answers I ever heard, I asked someone this, this question after she'd poured her heart out to me. I said, do you think God is good? And her response was this, I've heard rumors to that effect. Listen, friends, you got to do better than that. Because, because if you doubt that God is good, you have no basis for trust, no basis for hope, no basis for calling. But in the Genesis story, in contrast to every other creation narrative, there are no smaller gods. There's only one God, and the gods aren't warring. The God is good. The God is a God of peace. The God is a God of justice. And Elohim, our God, does not come out from the deep. Elohim is separate from and independent of the chaos and the agony and the oppression and the injustice and the darkness. That is not God. God's over here. So the creation narrative is saying something very important for January 2021. It's saying this, the world without God is terrifying. It's filled with lies. It is filled with fake news. You won't know who to believe. There are conspiracy theories afoot. Uh, people will lob you know, emotional and verbal grenades at one another on social media. That's the world we live in. But that is not the world that God has created. One author says it this way. Our fundamental problem is the absence of God's shalom. Because listen, apart from God, the world is not neutral. Apart from God, the world is emphatically negative. Desolation, waste, darkness. Which then becomes the source of all fear. Have you seen fear this week? <laughs> the source of all greed the source of isolation, the source of anxiety. And then it's the fear and the greed and the isolation and anxiety that give rise to violence and hatred and tribalism and materialism and racism and environmental degradation. So the sense of tohu, bohu, grows deeper. <laughs> That's our world. It's true globally, it's true nationally, it's true personally. I was privileged to sit in a class on learning to tell your, your own story this past Thursday evening at Bethany Community Church here. It was a marvelous class. But the class, in a sense, is a reminder that every one of us walks through tohu vabohu, desolation waste. All of us do. We live in a fallen world, and there are moments when, quote-unquote, life without God breaks, breaks in and if not moments, seasons. So we got to start there. The world without God, desolation, waste, darkness. And so when you take God out of the equation, that's where you're headed. Years ago, I spoke uh, at a retreat to a group of international students. 
and we were sitting in a circle. I was doing a, a seminar, breakout seminar with some students from UW about uh, the existence of God. And these were all really smart people. It was a, there was a guy there. He happened to be a, a, a student studying. He was working on his doctoral degree in some form of physics that I couldn't ever explain to you. But he's from China. And uh, we're sitting around and we're talking about uh, how do you know whether God exists or not? And so people are getting a bit philosophical and there's some apologetic evidence being tossed about, you know, proof of the resurrection and different things like that. And then this, this man from China, he said, I, I need to speak. And we all stopped, listened to him. He said, I was in Tiananmen Square when the tanks rolled in, when people were killed. And this is what he said. I have seen life without God. And because I've seen life without God, I know that God exists because God has broken in and all of life is not Tiananmen Square. And that brings me to the second point. Chapter two in our story, God breaks through and is the source of all that's good. So yeah, the darkness is real, utterly chaotic, despair-inducing, but God's positioned over it and God confronts the darkness. The authors of Genesis 1 were emphatic about the utter desolation of the world before God, but then when God speaks, it changes everything. Watch this. It says here, uh, darkness was over the surface of the deep and then the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. I love this. The wind, the breath, the violent exhale of God moves over this surging mass of misery. The Hebrew word for move literally means to brood as a hen broods over her, her, her eggs. It's as if God's spirit, which by the way is ruach, the feminine noun in Hebrew, God's spirit positions herself to confront the misery and destruction and darkness and sorrow and wickedness, brooding over the darkness and despair as if she is about to do battle with darkness. And here's her strategy. I will take this darkness and bring what? Light by birthing life and dispelling despair. Because the very next thing you read is this. Then Elohim, the supreme, all-powerful God of the universe, speaks and says, let there be light. And boom, big bang, light is born. And Elohim saw that the light was, verse 4, good, good. Oh, that's actually very good news. It, like the trajectory of darkness and despair is broken because God has intervened. God speaks and goodness is birthed from the cesspool of despair. Because the rest of Genesis 1 is the story of God's life infusing everything. And when that happens, everything changes. We move from darkness to light. We move from non-life to life. We move from despair to hope. We move from the void to beauty. We move from non-distinction to dignified diversity, a whole world of life praising God. <clears throat> Trees, rocks, streams, oceans, birds, fish, animals, everything praising God. God's intent for the world is that every aspect of creation would live in, as uh, Lisa Harper writes in her book on Shalom, that every 
every element of creation would live in forcefully good relationship with one another. And it's this very goodness that is all humanity living into its call and its capacity to exercise dominion, as we'll see in a moment. This is the story of the Bible repeated over and over again. God is intervening to move us to become people of light. God's trying to show us that the default mode of life without God is bad news, tohu, bohu, darkness, but God has intervened. And God, all through the Bible, this is what God does. God steps into darkness, boom. Exodus 3, I've heard the cry of Israel. Boom, I'm stepping in. I'm gonna move you from slavery to freedom. John 1, 14, the word becomes flesh. God becomes human, stepping into the cesspool of humanity that is the Roman Empire to bring transformation and deliverance and hope and peace and healing, particularly to people on the margins. The woman at the well, boom, God intervenes. The woman caught in adultery, boom, God intervenes. The man born blind, the 10 lepers, Jairus' daughter, the 5,000 hungry, Peter restored after the resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Should I go on? I could go on for hours. <laughs> it's a dark world and God intervenes. That's really good news. Here's, here's Jesus. He weeps over what he sees because he knows that humanity is like sheep without a shepherd. They're, quote unquote, cut off from the life of God. So what does God do? He steps in. I will be light in your darkness. I will be healing in your disease. I'll be peace in your anxiety. I will be life in your dying. Man, I am there for you. That's why I believe. <laughs> because I knew desperate loneliness at the death of my dad and, my, and God intervened. For others, it was their parents' divorce or it was sexual abuse or it's an addiction that consumed them or was climbing to the top of the corporate ladder and realizing there's a meaning there. And then as a, whatever it is, this moment of darkness makes us long for the light. That's a good thing. And it's not always that we have a first-person experience of despair. At times, it's because we look at the darkness of the world and Christ becomes our hope. The best sermon I've ever heard, I've said this many times, was spoken from the Bethany Community Church pulpit, but not by me. It was by my predecessor, uh, Pastor John McCullough, when he'd returned from India. My understanding is that he went there never having really traveled to a developing country before. And he came back, and I'll never forget, he, he stands up, this is back in the day when you know, pastors sat behind the pulpit in kind of throne chairs, basically. So he came up, and he was gonna read from his diary. And I'll never forget, he opens his diary to read, and he just starts to cry. And, and, and then he shared how the poverty and injustice and health crises that were characterizing India in the mid-70s changed his life forever, changed his understanding of the gospel. I was changed by that. He was changed by seeing darkness embodied and beauty. How God intervened in that darkness. Wow, we need that message. It's that simple. It's that profound. The world is terrible without God. God has stepped in. You could put on a sign somewhere in the city of Seattle. <laughs> Lean into the part of Jesus' teaching that says you're blessed if you mourn. 
or you're blessed if you face sorrow or face loss, or if you're desperately hungry for, for your world to be healthier than it is right now. Listen, if you're hungry for better, if, if you're mourning loss, if, 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 you're, if you're facing sorrow right now, if you're facing loss right now, very good place to be. Because you're acknowledging the world is wrong without God. And then here's the beauty of it. God spoke and said, let there be light. Let there be light. Our refugee resettlement ministry says that too, here at Bethany, let there be light. Our foster care work says, let there be light. Stephen Ministries say, let there be light. Like, we'll enter, look, we'll step in and seek to be, though imperfectly, we'll seek to be the presence of Christ as you walk through your dark valley. Our work with poor and vulnerable children in Costa Rica, that, that's light. Our, our ministry partnerships in Rwanda, that's light. I remember being in Rwanda about 10 years ago now or so, and uh, I'll never forget this, this uh, big, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a Hummer, but it was like some kind of off-road vehicle. The roads are so bad. We're driving into uh, this little area where we were going to meet with a group of people whose title at the, at the time was this, people living with AIDS. That was, their, that was their group. That's what they were called. And uh, at the time, they were still entirely socially and economically marginalized by virtue of their disease. And our kind of Jeep rolls in and out from this building come about 100, maybe 150 people all dressed in the most colorful stuff I've ever seen, singing and dancing. These, these people all have AIDS. They all have AIDS. They're singing and dancing. And they surround our car. We open the door. They hold our hands. They take us inside. They, they surround us. The joy, the testimony, the power of God, the light of that moment. Unbelievable. The only explanation is that not only is the world dark, God breaks in. And then we heard testimony after testimony after testimony of lives transformed because of the presence of Jesus Christ. Man, if you don't believe, you're not listening to the stories. Wake up. God is good. Churches are broken. Institutions are broken. Evangelical communities are confused. But God, Jesus, good. We need that. What's your vision for 2021? What if the vision were to see the shalom of God poured out through you into the world? That's a good vision. This sermon kind of came alive for me because... I watched the, ca the Capitol thing on the news and I turned it off and I was working on this sermon and I was hearing in the text about the tohu and the bohu and the, and the darkness. But I also, I usually uh, listen to music when I study and I had a Pandora thing on and uh, a song came up from this group, Sleeping at Last, entitled Sun. So just imagine, I'm reading Genesis 1, 1, and 2. 
focusing on God saying light. And I hear these words. With golden string, our universe was clothed in light. Pulling at the seams, our once barren world now brims with life. So that we may fall in love every time we open our eyes. I guess space and time takes violent things, angry things, and makes them kind. We're the dust of dust. We're the apple of God's eye. We are infinite as the universe we hold inside. Infinity times infinity. Infinity times infinity times infinity. I don't know if you're a poet, but I was weeping. I just watched my capital be stormed. I just read the depth of tohu and bohu and darkness that is life without God. I just seen it on the news. And then I hear this beautiful song. <laughs> Our universe was clothed in light. Why? God broke through. That's why. Infinity times infinity. Infinity times infinity times infinity. That's my vision. That we would be people of such beauty, such hope, that shalom pours out through us into our broken world more than ever. Which brings me to the last point. Chapter three, we're invited to bring God's goodness into reality. First of all, as image bearers, because it says at the end of Genesis 1 that we're creating God's image, which simply means, by the way, that everybody is creating God's image. That's all it means. The Colombian worker making two cents a day, made in God's image. Farm workers, domestic workers, who are exempt from basic workers' rights in the United States, they're made in God's image. Trayvon Martin, God's image. Michael Jordan, God's image. Michael Brown, God's image. Russell Wilson, God's image. Breonna Taylor, God's image. LeBron James, God's image. George Floyd, God's image. Oprah Winfrey, God's image. Everybody has a high calling. Everybody has the opportunity to be ravished by light so that we can then become instruments of light in a very, very, very dark world. That's your calling. You're invited into God's story. <laughs> in other words, all of us have a high calling, higher than anger, higher than cynicism, higher than politics, higher than fear. Are you in? I hope so. And then remarkably, we become agents of shalom. We're given dominion over the earth. It says there in Genesis 1.26, hey, humans, take charge. The light that I give you, spread it. Let's go. That's our calling. Not personal well-being. Sharing the light. Well-being comes as a result of being people of shalom but I need a vision bigger than my personal well-being, and so do you. God's inviting people into this vision. And we who are Bethany Community Church have a mission statement of inviting people to God, who is the source of light and hope and healing, and inviting people to community so that we together can receive the light of Christ from one another and inviting people to wholeness so that out from fullness, we can intervene in the world on God's behalf and bring peace and hope and justice and mercy and wisdom to a world so dark. Now is the time for that vision.
we just uh, create a little video about this mission statement so that you understand what it means to be the people of God. I think the link for that will be in the notes if you're watching online. In fact, you are watching online, so the link will be in the notes. But this is God's vision. You know, for years I had a sign in my room. It was a little card I'd received at some seminar. And it simply said this, not somehow, four words, not somehow, but triumphantly. That really challenged me to quit worrying about whether I'd have enough provision, whether I'd be financially secure in my old age, whether I'd be good enough, healthy enough, good-looking enough, popular enough, smart enough. It kind of freed me from that, that kind of the, the, the trap of endless self-improvement to prove myself somehow worthy enough to be in God's story. Not somehow, I don't want to just get through in life, but triumphantly. Like, it was a reminder that right where I am today, God's inviting me to contribute to the shalom of the world. With my health issues, with my aging body, with my family challenges, with my uncertainties about the future, with, with, my, with my love for my democracy that feels like it's hanging by a thread, all of it. Nonetheless, God is saying this, Richard, I have a job for you. Pour shalom into the world because it's a dark and scary place. But God has said, let there be light. Now you go say it too. Let's pray. Father, not somehow. We don't want to just, you know, muddle through 2021 with uh, two shots and an aid package from Congress. No, no, we want to so receive your life that we're set on fire to be light in the darkness because it is without you, tohu, bohu, darkness. And you are the light of the world. We receive you now, Father. Live in us, fill us, empower us, call us, send us. And we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits in Jesus' name. Amen.